BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Thursday, September 28th, 2023. Our good friend Alistair Crook joins us from the hills outside of Rome, Italy. Alistair, always a pleasure, my dear friend. Thank you for coming Thank back you. on the show. Uh, these uh, weekly um, uh, injections of your big brain are so much appreciated by so many of our uh, viewers, uh, not the least of whom. Uh, is your humble correspondent here, and I'm deeply grateful for it. Thank you. Um, uh, is there any doubt in your mind but that the West has lusted for an opportunity to use Ukraine to weaken Russia? Uh, yes, I, there's no doubt. I mean, there's no doubt about that, that they were using it. Uh, and the question, and the deeper question, is what were they trying to do? How were they trying to use it? I don't think it was just simply to try and project, if you like, the new um, woke agenda on Ukraine and to use that. I think that was just a sort of pretext and part of it. But it was also, I think, um, uh, deeply, uh, if you like, part of an ethnic conflict was designed to be uh, a racial conflict between Ukrainians and Russians. Uh, whether you call it ethnic, to be polite, but it was basically a racial contract con uh, conflict. And you saw that very much in some of the language that was used by Ukraine. And you've seen it also expressed in some of the Western language about how this is a sort of a fight for the end and that Putin has to be humiliated and defeated and his narrative buried forever. So yes, I think it, the, the question is, what was it from the beginning, an idea that they could use Ukraine as a sort of runway and a platform to take it to a bigger conflict uh, with, with Russia, um, one in which the sort of Western cultural paradigm is set against, if you like, the old, um, Russian values uh, and sense of continuity with their own civilization. I think the, the jury is out on that, but I think it's highly likely that many people did see this as the ultimate objective. I, I realize, Alistair, the profound cultural, historical, and language differences, but why do you call it racial? Uh, well, I mean, do you I, mean let, let me refine the question. Do you mean white Anglo-Saxon Protestant ver West versus Slavic East? 
Yes. Or you mean something yes. Ukrainian versus something Russian? No, what you first said. Yes, I think it is that against and, Islamic. And is is there a racial animus um, uh, pushing uh, Tony Blinken and the neocons uh, versus Vladimir Putin and the East? Yeah, I think that's clear. I mean, you've often remarked yourself, why is there such extraordinary sort of unfathomable hatred towards Russia and yes. Russians? And I think there's no real answer for that, except that this is going to be used as part of the, uh, if you like, a, a move towards a greater conflict between Russia and the Western sphere. I think, fortunately, that's not going to happen because I think the Ukrainian conflict is coming to a fairly rapid end. So I don't think we're going to get into the big war unless someone does something, you know, really dangerous. Always possible. I mean, look what happened with Britain all those years ago. I mean, when they were on the ropes and they were, you know, being beaten back, they did the Suez operation and it was a disaster for France and Britain. And, you know, they did it simply to prove that they were not weak when all the world saw that they were weak. You um, are a student of history, American, British, world uh, history. You particularly focused uh, recently on Zbigniew Brzezinski and his thoughts and ideas and the years when he was um, national security advisor to uh, President Carter. President Carter, by the way, was about to celebrate his 99th birthday. God bless him. Wow. Um, thank you. Uh, how how long will it take the West to realize Brzezinski to Blinken and everybody in between, notwithstanding, that their efforts to use Ukraine to weaken Russia have not only not worked, it's had the opposite effect? I don't think they're ready to see that at the moment, but there is a clear continuum from what Brzezinski was writing and saying, and he framed it entirely in this. It wasn't about democracy promotion or anything else. It was simply that because uh, Ukraine was a divided society, rather as Ireland is a very divided society between, you know, both religiously and culturally in terms of a historical appreciation of the past, um, he saw this as the means to really to be used to attack uh, Russia. And we saw that what happened with to that was that the, the Western services, particularly the American and British services, focused very much on, if you like, the ultra-nationalists, who were also very much at the forefront of the vanguard of, you like, the cultural war, too, against Russia that they were the main, if you like, pillar on which this whole project, if you like, the present project. Right now, which ultra-nationalists uh, are you speaking about in the West or in Ukraine? In Ukraine. That was where they built it. And after Maidan, they took great trouble to put those into the key positions in the military and in the government and in the media. Um, and as a result, we're still in this position, which is unfortunate for Ukraine, um, that the ultra-nationalists, the extreme nationalists, have the primacy in Ukraine. I mean, no one can go against them, the military in theory, but no one else. They, they are in the prime position, and it is they who say very clearly, no, there will be nothing, no talks, nothing. 
The head of intelligence, Budanov, just said this yesterday in very stark terms. He said nothing. He said there will be no talks, no concession, no it, end to fight. Is, we go is, to the end. Is President uh, Zelensky uh, among the ultranationalists a tool for the ultranationalists, or are they tugging him to the right? Oh, I think he's just a hostage to them. I mean, he's completely a hostage to them. They surround him. They control him. Um, he is a hostage to them, and he is also a hostage to a certain extent to uh, Western leaders as well. But I mean, the ones on the ground, the ones that matter, are his bodyguards. They're all around him. I mean, he doesn't move anywhere without them having a very close eye on him. He's tightly controlled, very tightly controlled. And now we see he's getting quite desperate because the Amer Americans are trying to push him to go towards elections next year. And he's pretty unpopular. I mean, the, about 70 or 80% of Ukrainians are complaining that he's responsible for corruption. And so I hear, I'm told that what, what he's going to do is trying to move to a much more presidential role. So he'll have complete authority and not be so dependent on the political, if you like, structures of Ukraine beneath him. Uh, I don't know if this is possible. I'm not sure. But it does look as, as if there's quite a lot of pressure from Washington saying that he must go. And the way to do that is to hold elections. Who they're going to push in, I have no idea in his place. I suppose if it's up to uh, Tony Blinken and Victor Victoria Nuland, it'll be an ultra nationalist. It won't be a, it won't be a moderate. Uh, but no, that's just, that's just speculation uh, uh, on on our part. You mentioned his bodyguards. I, I I don't think they are. Correct me if I'm wrong, Alistair. Bodyguards like the Secret Service guards the president. No. I think they are bodyguards in that they are some sort of a control mechanism of where he goes and who he visits and what he says as much as they are physical protectors of him. Am I, do I have that right? Exactly. And it's the same, you know, in many parts of the government, you have these people who are there to watch and comment and record everything you do and hand it back to their uh, overlords. I remember even a, a, a British ambassador in Washington had two people who were there simply to keep an eye on him and everything he said and and to record that and send it back to London. So he's in rather the same position. It's not extraordinary, but this is his position, I think. So he's very, he's very limited in how far he can go. However, you know, the, the, the real point is that, I mean, I think the most important thing that's happened in this last period, which he, he doesn't know how to deal with, is that the Senate, in their continuing resolution, the Senate, I mean, not the House, but they passed it down to the House. Of course, it's not going to fly, but they'd cut the funding from 24 billion to six. So we're talking about Schumer, McConnell, all those people had cut the funding down to six billion. Um, and, you know, this is, this is sort of token of the end, I think, for, for the, for the um, really for the project, because unless that's all restored in the House, which seems quite unlikely, it'd probably be cut even further, given the sort of opposition in, amongst the Republicans. I think, um, you know, you can't afford it. They spend, you know, huge amounts every day on the, uh, on the war, and they require 50 billion a month just to keep the government going. 
Right. And I so right. I think I think it's very important this this finances. And there've been you know that television program on sixty minutes, which is showing that you know American taxpayers' money is also going to sort of subsidize small businesses and first responders yes. and everything like that. And I'm sure in this present atmosphere that that irks many Americans. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Um, I want to deviate just a little bit. You, you talked about uh the minders hmm. from the government watching uh, Zelensky when you were a british diplomat did you ever feel uh, that uh, whitehall was minding you watching you monitoring oh, sure. your words sure I, as i was saying I, i remember going to see the um the british ambassador in washington who i knew well because i dealt with him in downing street he he was my opposite number when i was dealing with the Uh, Palestinian-Israeli issues at that time, so I knew him well. And, uh, you know, it was quite clear. I think Downing, um, London didn't totally, didn't totally trust him. So we had these two people in our discussion. He said, I can't see you alone. I have these two minders with me to, to report back uh, on London that I don't say anything uh, wrong to you and to report wow. on what you say back to London. So if Donald Trump didn't like the way a secret service agent spoke to him or looked or, or maneuvered his behavior. The guy was gone. I guess yeah. this can't happen in every government in the world. If Zelensky fired these people that were listening to him, they'd be replaced by more listeners. I would assume. No, it happens. It certainly happens in the UK and it happens to some, one of my staff and that, um, you know, uh, wrote something the government didn't like and, He was out the next day and sent off wow. to Social Security Department um, to survive a, a sort of long term. So, I mean, they don't get, you don't get, I mean, you don't get sort of completely on the street, but, you know, Social Security Department yeah. <laughs> is the next thing to be in prison, I guess. <laughs> You're talking about um, uh, nationalism, even nationalism with a racial uh, animus. I want to show you uh, two clips. We'll show them back to back. One mm -hmm. is President Zelensky at the Canadian Parliament with the Parliament giving a standing ovation to a former SS Nazi. The guy's now 98 years old. Uh, mm -hmm. And the other, an absurd, uh, frivolous uh, explanation for it, blaming Vladimir Putin, of all people, by President Trudeau. And then I'm going to ask you if there's any nationalism or racial animus in this. His speech received at least a dozen standing ovations. There was also one for this man, a 98-year-old Ukrainian-Canadian 
who fought for Ukrainian independence against the Russians during the Second World War. Obviously, it's extremely upsetting that this happened. Uh, the speaker, speaker has uh, acknowledged his mistake uh, and has apologized. Uh, but this is something that is deeply embarrassing to the Parliament of Canada and, by extension, to all Canadians. Uh, I think particularly of Jewish MPs and all members of the Jewish community across the country who are uh, celebrating Yom, or commemorating Yom Kippur today. Uh, I think it's going to be really important that all of us push back against Russian propaganda, Russian disinformation, and continue our steadfast and unequivocal support for Ukraine. I mean, the suggestion that the Russians had anything to do with that uh, absurd display, the efforts to um, to dissociate himself from it. There's another camera view, which we don't have, that shows him standing next to the Speaker of the uh, Parliament and directly behind President Zelensky, looking up at the balcony at this ex-Nazi fellow uh, and applauding as enthusiastically as anybody else applauded. The idea that the Nazi got into the uh, parliamentary chamber without some sort of security vetting of everybody that was there, the thought that the Prime Minister Trudeau didn't know about this. I mean, one could go on and on and on. But my question to you is, ultranationalism, uh, racism, or just stupidity? Well, like you say, there's no question that you, know, that you can't just get into Parliament and get a a uh, uh, standing ovation without anyone knowing who you are. Of course not. Um, so they knew. And I think it was a, a ploy that went wrong, probably. But it, it's more important than anything because it really just shows, you know, even though they've tried to cover it up and sweep it under the carpet, it just shows the, the extent and the depth of, if you like, ultra-nationalist support there is in countries in the West. Um, Europe, as well as in Canada and, and the US, and that many of those from the SS were transported with the support facilitated by Europe and by Britain, and they were um, facilitated. Several thousands went to Canada. Thousands went elsewhere. Many of the German um, intelligence services went to um, the United States. Many scientists and technicians were taken to the United States. Many of them were working for the Germans and working in the, in the military. So there is a sort of basis like that. Only it came out badly and came out wrong and went completely. No doubt someone thought it was going to be a good idea that show, you know, the sort of um, the, the, the support and that it had been going on um, for so long in the support against Russia. It was part of this revisionism of history, I think, which suggests that, you know, we, the European family, were always against Russia. And that, you know, this, and which is going on in Europe at the moment, sort of revising history to suggest, you know, that it was really uh, Europe um, and Germany included was part of the European family fighting Russia. When the converse was absolutely travesty of history. It was completely the converse that was true. Here's uh, a cheerleader. I want to talk to you about Tony Blinken and the mm. new moral community, but here's a cheerleader for Tony Blinken for the new moral community, uh, as they call it, uh, and for NATO. This is um, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton just a few days ago at the State Department 
at the unveiling of her formal uh, portrait as Secretary of State, remembering, of course, that as Secretary of State, she's in a direct line of descent from the first Secretary of State, whom King George would like, the third would like to have hanged by the name of Thomas Jefferson. But here's, here's Miss, I couldn't resist it, Alex. Here, here's Mrs. Yeah. Clinton two or three days ago. An invasion of Ukraine that, uh, instead of driving a stake between us and our allies, brought us closer together in order to support uh, the right of the Ukrainian people uh, to defend their liberty and freedom and democracy. People might have doubted that because we had burned so many bridges uh, with our allies and our friends, so reinstating uh, a foreign policy that plays to the best of American values, that puts our interests and security front and center, but does it in a way that actually brings people to us, not pushes them away, uh, would have been thought to be uh, extremely difficult. And indeed, it was. In looking across the globe, defending democracy in Ukraine, expanding NATO, just as an aside, too bad, Vladimir. People are not forced to join NATO. People choose and want to join NATO. Didn't Vladimir Putin once ask for Russia to join NATO? It, it, it happened, yes, shortly after he came into office. He made that suggestion because he still thought at the time that Russia would be part of Europe, linked to it, integrally part of Europe. And he'd hoped so. Of course, now that's all gone completely. But he did at one stage see a greater Europe, and that was true. I think what is striking with that clip you've just shown was, you know, the, the efforts to create the sort of moral community and to make that the identity that will fight, if you like, Vladimir Putin's sort of, as they see it, regressive return to traditionalism, to religion, to the family, and to Orthodox Christianity and that we will have this sort of clash between these two things, the sort of woke moralism on the one hand and the sort of backward um, sovereigntist religious um, uh, views, uh, the counter-revolution, if you like, that um, Putin has been. And they want that buried. They want that buried as deeply as possible because Oops. it threatens them. Do the neocons from Mrs. Clinton to Tony Blinken, from Jake Sullivan to Victoria Newland, plan to build a new moral uh, community? And if they do, what are they talking about? Uh, well, basically, I mean, I don't want to go into too much of the language, but it's the woke idea. It's uh, about diversity and, you know, and also pride and all of these things together, which are being, uh, uh, if you like, implemented at government levels and at sort of educational levels throughout our societies, mine as well as in, in yours. Uh, and so um, this is, this is the, the task. But what's happened and what's made it, what's discredited is that they have been so busy talking about issues of gender and diversity and um, and LBGTQ and so on, that nothing has got done. They have not been effectively able to resolve any of the real problems 
that you know we face in day-to-day -day life. I mean, instead of which we are facing deeper and deeper crises and nothing gets better. There's a lot of talk and no one listens to it because nothing gets better. All the problems, the can is kicked down the road and nothing happens. We, and live, we, live, in a, we live in a society that in my view can best be described as chaotic or disordered. Things don't get better. They seem to get worse. That's not always the pattern of history, but it's the, it's what we're enduring now, Alistair. Absolutely. In every area of life, it's becoming, certainly in Europe, becoming more dysfunctional. I mean, really dysfunctional. Things just don't work. Trains, airports, whatever, education, these things are just not working. And no one seems to care. They just go on talking about um, Russia and Ukraine and about um, you know all of these values that they're inserting, but nothing changes. And the problem is getting worse and worse as inflation is really biting. I saw in France just uh, before coming on that all the young students in France are lining up for free free food because they can't mm. afford to keep themselves. I mean, it's huge lines. It's it's and what happens? Nothing. I know we only have a few minutes left, but do you think the chaos and disorder uh, is contributing to the rise of the right, hard right, in France and in Germany, and to some extent in Italy, as where you are as well? Uh, well, I, I I don't ever use that hard right uh, expression because I think it's intended to be, um, uh, you know, to to diminish um, people. What do you call AFD, the German party? Um, it believes that there should be more sovereignty for Germany and less for right. the European Union. It doesn't want to leave the European Union or burn it down or anything, but it wants to reform it. Is this hard right? Are they is being opposing the form of immigration policy that we have now in right. Europe? I mean, hard right. I mean, you can say it's right, but I don't think, I don't know what then hard right is in this. We're not talking about violent people at all. Well, what I'm driving at is, does dis disorder often leads to authoritarianism? Uh, yes. I mean, I think this is, I think people would welcome a little bit of authority if that authority would get things done. Frankly, I know that's not a fashionable thing to say, but... You know, it hasn't worked until now. They wouldn't mind. I mean, you know, this is why, you know, um, people look and occasionally look at um, Putin and say, well, you know, he is a leader. He gets things done. He, he runs a country and has run it very successfully um, from the chaos that he inherited uh, in 1991. So, I mean, I think people are going to look that way. Is it a good thing or not? I don't know. But that's where we're going. I think it is what it is. It is what it is. Alistair Crook, always a pleasure, my dear friend. Thank you for all your uh, wonderful uh, insight. Enjoy the remainder of the week and the weekend. We look forward to chatting with you again next week. Thank you so much. Same to you. Of course, of course. Uh, there you have it. We'll, we'll always give you more uh, as we get it. Uh, Scott Horton, uh, later uh, this afternoon. Tomorrow, our um, Intelligence Roundtable Friday our intelligence roundtable with Ray McGovern and um, Larry Johnson, and then ask the judge, ask me any questions you want about the subjects that we discuss on air, and I'll do my best to answer them live and directly. Until then, tell your friends, we're moving up in the subscriptions. We're up to 203,000. 
250,000 is our goal uh, by Christmas time, because here at uh, Judging Freedom, we are looking out for your liberty.